For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And welcome to another edition of Battleground Florida. I am Christopher Heath coming to you from the Parish Healthcare Podcast Studio here in sunny Orlando, Florida. Impeachment is behind us, but before we put a bow on this third presidential impeachment in our history. I wanted to bring in an expert. Paul Rosenzweig is a senior fellow over at the R Street Institute. Paul, I appreciate you joining us because I'm staring at your resume here, and man, there are few people out there that understand this process as well as you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So, okay, before we get into this this impeachment that just wrapped, um, a little bit of your background. You You know this process in and out. Yes, well, you know, I, I, I'm an attorney, sadly, or happily, I guess, depending upon your perspective. Uh, and uh, one, of the, one of the items on my resume that's of, of note is that back 20 years ago, when President Clinton was impeached, I, I was working as an, as an attorney, as a senior counsel in the uh, Whitewater investigation of President Clinton that became the Lewinsky investigation that eventually became... Um, the impeachment of Clinton and his acquittal. And so uh, when I finished that job 20 years ago, I said to my wife, well, that was really interesting, but that's 20, that's two years of legal experience I'll never use again. Um, I was wrong about that. <laughs> Here yeah. we are today. Yeah. Um, so you, you watched this whole um, impeachment play out, the most recent one here against President Donald Trump. And your thoughts, not just seeing the way that it, it moved, because it was very different than you, you already referenced, obviously, Ken Starr started off on Whitewater and it morphed into Lewinsky. Um, this was this was very much different. There was there was no special counsel. This was done by the House. Your thoughts on not just the way the House conducted itself, but then the way the trial played itself out. I know it's kind of a big, big question to ask, but I mean, your thoughts on how this compared to 20 years ago. Wow. Well, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, a, a few basic thoughts. The, the first and most obvious is, as you said, that the House proceedings then were uh, built on the backbone of a year-long criminal investigation uh, by an outside independent counsel who had attorneys, subpoenas, uh, you know, witnesses, grand juries, all that sort of thing at his beck and call. So the House process was very different than it was today. Um, the House process back then looked a little bit like what it might have looked like if the House in this go-round had chose to base its impeachment inquiry on the report of the special counsel, Robert Mueller, right? Uh, they didn't, in part because Mueller didn't find uh, enough uh, in their judgment to warrant it, but if he had, that's what it would have looked like. But this was much more like... Um, the House's independent investigation of uh, Nixon or Andrew Johnson, where it was developing its own facts. Uh, the other big difference, of course, is that in the end, um, President Clinton cooperated with 
the investigation. He resisted a lot, but you know, so much so that in the end he testified. He, he even gave his own blood sample for the investigation. Uh, whereas here, uh, President Trump chose to resist uh, the investigation most strongly. Uh, you might call it a stonewall, so much so that his resistance was itself one of the grounds of impeachment. And so on kind of two levels, there was a pretty significant difference between the two. What do you think about the House moving at the pace it did and then not sending over the articles? That may be more of a political than a process question, but it definitely gave some room for things like the Lev Parnas information to trickle out for John Bolton to finally start getting bits and pieces of his transcript coming out. Um, what do you think about as far as the House holding on to those articles after they'd already voted them? I think that was a bit of a sideshow. I mean, it was Christmas. Nobody, Nothing was going to happen, even if they'd sent them over. So I don't think that it made any difference at all in how the impeachment ultimately played out. So when we finally get over to the Senate and there is the trial, uh, your, your, your old boss, Ken Starr, is there. Um, the House managers are making their are making their presentation the same as they did 20 years ago, except they were Republicans 20 years ago, Democrats this time. Um what, what was your takeaway from watching the two sides make their arguments in front of the, the 100 senators? Um, it did not seem that they were all talking about the same thing, right? Uh, the House managers were talking about the facts that had been developed and their view that it was um, an impeachable offense uh, the president's lawyers were uh, trying to appeal not to the facts, which I, they did never seem to dispute, but to uh, history, to presidential immunity, to political vanity. Uh, that sort of thing. It was, I think, really two sides talking past each other. Maybe talking to two different audiences. I, I've read through some of the stuff you've you've written for, especially in USA Today, and I encourage everyone we'll put we'll put it up in the show notes to go and take a look at this. The one that I'm looking at was published on, on January 22nd. Trump impeachment defense is dangerous. Abuses of power could crack America's foundation. And, and then the subheadline is Trump thinks his oath was a vague unenforceable promise that he can't be held accountable as long as he doesn't commit a crime. Period. But he's wrong. This is this was this was this was yours. You you wrote this. Uh, I want. I was hoping you'd elaborate a little bit about where this line of thinking potentially takes us. Well, I mean, this was in response to the argument that the president's lawyer Alan Dershowitz made, which was that the only types of things that are impeachable are crimes, um, and uh, so that suggested that anything the president did, no matter how outrageous it would be, how much of an abuse of power it might be, how much a violation from the norms of behavior it might be, would not be impeachable unless it was also a federal criminal offense. Uh, that's historically wrong. Uh, Andrew Johnson was impeached for offenses that were not criminal in nature, for example. But it's also really scary. Uh, for example, the president is the ultimate authority on uh, the national security of the United States, and in particular on classification of secrets in the United States. He could today, legally, not criminally, 
declassify the name of every secret agent that we have around the globe. If he did that, I think that would be an, a horrible, abusive uh, act that warranted impeachment. But according to Professor Dershowitz, because it wasn't an, a crime, which it wouldn't be, the president will be free to do that. And the only thing that Americans could do to stop it would be to vote him out of office at the next election. Um, likewise, uh, uh, for example, uh, uh, if the president chose to uh, not defend a Russian invasion of Alaska, right? That's his authority. He's the commander in chief. It wouldn't be a crime. But boy, it sure would seem to me to be an impeachable offense from which we should remove him. You write in here, and, and, and I, I hadn't stopped and thought about this till I got to the very the end of the very first paragraph. You wrote, crazy, in parentheses, fill in the candidate name here, would be terrible for America. Can someone help me out here? Don't worry, my pardon power is absolute. You essentially put that out there as a potential presidential tweet insofar as he could say, listen, hey, you know, Elizabeth Warren's the Democratic nominee. Man, she's crazy. Be sure great if somebody could help me out. Don't worry, my pardon power is absolute. He's not saying go kill her. He's he's not, but you can read between the lines, and then if something happened, all of a sudden, has he committed a crime? Probably not. But boy, that that is a scary prospect if if we are to accept that he, he is untouchable so long as he does not commit a crime. Well, that's exactly, I think, the point, the, the bad point, um, is that since the pardon power is also absolute, um, he can grant it or not as he sees fit. Pretty much, the courts would never actually tell him that his pardon power was wrong, was misused. And since it's not a crime, he could pardon uh, 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 a uh, supporter who decided to uh, well, let's make it not really bad, but decided to hack uh, Elizabeth Warren out all of her emails and really embarrass her, and then he could pardon her um, in order to help himself win the election which just seems to me to be wrong. Well, and I mean, this gets back to, I mean, we, we all heard in 2016, Russia, if you're listening, Russia was listening. Now, whether or not you can draw a direct line between, you know, Russia acting specifically on that or Russia just hearing it and saying, okay, let's go ahead and do that um, is another point. But it, it, the, the question is out there. And then the other thing you wrote in USA Today is Trump impeachment obstruction of Congress charge will define our future as a nation. This this gets to another thing, which is something that the founders talked about, about how ambition will check ambition. But if there is no check on one of the branches, where do we head? Well, I, I think that's right. As, as you said, this the point in, of this one is simply that the entire structure of our government is built on checks and balances. The idea that each of the branches will defend its own prerogatives against the other. And so uh, a strong judiciary will stop the legislature or the executive from overreaching. A strong legislature will stop the executive from overreaching. A strong executive will veto legislative overreach. Uh, when one of those branches, in this case the legislative branch, decides not to defend itself, will not punish a president for refusing to respond to its own legitimate request, that's a problem. Here the thing is that the House uh, had tried very hard to get documents, testimony from President Trump about the Ukraine affair, and the president had essentially said, uh, we're not giving you anything. We think that your oversight of our activity is illegitimate. 
And that, in the end, uh, frustrated the House's ability to hear from John Bolton, to hear from Nick Mulvaney, to get the internal documents from the OMB that related to all of this. So uh, now uh, we're kind of stuck, right? Uh, if the House can't investigate and it can't impeach because the president prevents it from investigating, the House is, is neutered in a way that has a long-term fundamental adverse effect on uh, the balance of uh, power, checks and balances between the two parties. Well, and what's happening right now, and I don't know how much attention this is getting, is you do have the president's attorneys essentially arguing it both ways. They're saying when it comes to impeachment, you can't have this because it, it, you, you don't have the oversight being talking to about about the the House of Representatives, you know, you as a political body don't have oversight here. And then you also have the DOJ arguing, I believe in SDNY, arguing that um, the, the investigation going on there by I think the state of New York is illegitimate because that's a political question. So they're basically saying you can't investigate us for political reasons and you also can't investigate us for non-political reasons. It, it seems to be they want to have it both ways. And I think that does get to, as your point is made, if, if you can't investigate for non-political and you can't investigate for political, what can you investigate for? Well, that's right. You can't investigate for political purposes. You can't investigate for non-political purposes. Add to that the uh, attorney general's view that the president can't be indicted while he's in office for a crime. And add to that um, the, uh, uh, the attorney general's view that uh, Congress's investigative authority is limited to uh, – you know, in, it essentially becomes an assertion of unilateral executive authority that can't be checked by Congress. And now if Congress won't protect itself by impeaching and removing the president for that, you're, you're stuck. You, you've got nothing to go on. It's the kingly prerogative that we, that we um, fought a revolution against brought back to life. So... Where do we go from here? Do we do we have to put our faith that the institutions that have been tested will rebound, or are we are we starting to move down a very scary road where we have a, a you know essentially an unaccountable executive, an unaccountable judiciary, and an impotent uh, legislative branch? Well, it's it's too early to be sure, right? We're we're having an election in November that will tell us something about that. Where, where we have um, some court cases that are pending in the Supreme Court that will tell us something about that. But it does seem to me that we're on the precipice, that um, some of the warning lights are flashing uh, bright yellow, if not red, and that uh, if we don't step back from that precipice, reclaim the historical set of norms that limited executive behavior, we're going to have an interesting and very, very difficult time ahead of us. At least I think so. Well, and I mean, but it, it, you mentioned the election coming up. Let's let's play this out to an extreme and say somebody like a, an Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders gets elected. What tools are now in their toolkit thanks to an expanding executive branch? Well, um... I don't know. I mean, the tools in the toolkit are limited. Uh, I mean, they, they, they've atrophied is, I think, the real answer. They've, they've been um, 
it's unused for too long. And it will take many years of reassertions of authority in order to reestablish uh, congressional oversight and control. Uh, especially if President Trump is reelected and the Republicans gain votes, that will be a public um, affirmation that they like it this way. Um, you know, there's a real, there's a sense in which you know, people get the government they deserve, and we'll get it good and hard if if we if we vote to. Uh, to redo this. So there you go. The election's critical, right? It is alarming to me how often in the last couple of years I've heard that quote from H.L. Mencken tossed out that uh, that, uh, that, is, that is what the government you get is the, you get the government you deserve. Um, and so we, we do. We, we see this. I mean, and you don't have to go back all that far. And look, I mean, we have uh, the, the Obama presidency with DACA essentially creating its own law out of the executive branch. Uh, then you have the, the president, you know, President Trump, removing money around, even though Congress hadn't appropriated and moving it for pot one over here to pot two to build the border wall. And, you know, one by one, we start to all say, well, it's okay because my guy's doing it. The, the, the question of precedent becomes important because this will get argued by people like you going forward, being like, "Listen, this was the this is what happened. We've we've done this, correct?" Yeah, I I, I think every every impeachment, every presidency resonates through history. We have kind of normalized this president's behavior, and uh, we're going to be stuck with it for fifty years, at least. We may even even if he leaves the scene now. You can be sure that President Warren will will assert the same executive authority to move money around, but she'll move it around to fight climate change or or to uh, raise the minimum wage or whatever it is she she thinks is a priority. We've lost the ability of control, and that's not a good thing. No, it's not, and and um, you you do wonder what the long term effects of this impeachment are going to be, because obviously it's not a removal of a president. It is just simply that we have established this is where the high water mark is, but that could always change going forward. Um, I'll wrap up with this. As you look back at this impeachment and compare it to the Clinton impeachment, if there was one thing that stands out between the Trump impeachment and the Clinton impeachment, having been intimately involved in one and watching the other um, from the outside, what would it be? Well, I'm sad to say that I would say it's the lack of serious engagement with the issues by one of the parties. Even during the Clinton impeachment, the Democrats understood the seriousness of what was happening. Um, they treated it, they treated the impeachment with the respect it deserved. And when the final result was done, President Clinton apologized to the American public for putting them through it. Um, understanding that even though he didn't think he should leave office, that he, his actions had caused harm. By contrast, you know, yesterday's performance by President Trump and the performance by the Republicans for the last several months in the Senate uh, have been almost, uh, well, they have a, a sense of unreality about them that I, I just don't understand. No, yeah, no, I, I get it. And, and, I, and I, you know, whether you're talking about Matt Gates leading his Brooks Brothers uh, riot part two when they stormed the skiff. Um, I had I had members of Congress, Republicans tell me, you know, 
you know, that um, they weren't allowed into these meetings. And, you know, I'm like, we, if you're a member of the committee, you were. That's, I don't know why this is something you're trying to peddle out there as if it's a, but it, it, it was, it was one of those things where you felt like every step of the way you did have some group um, that was trying to gaslight you a little bit and throw enough smoke up there and just pretend like it's no big deal. But I mean, it, it, it may also too be, they knew they had the votes in the Senate that it didn't matter what came out. This is where it was all going to end. And that's a depressing thought, but it's, it's where we're at. It is indeed where we're at. Ah, great way to end a Friday, Paul. I appreciate you calling in from from DC. Um, I hope I hope you have a good weekend at least. Um, impeachment's over, and um, that that skill set you didn't think you'd need for twenty years. You never know. You know, keep keep that handy. We we might have we might have more of these coming. I fervently hope not for the good of the country. And it makes two of us. Hey, Paul. I really appreciate. It. Thank you very much. Take care. All right, Paul has headed off to go do more legal things there in D.C. Do appreciate him coming on. A little bit shorter of a podcast this uh, this Friday. Um, well, it's Friday when I'm recording it. Not sure when this is going to show up in your feed. Anyway, just, you know, impeachment's over. And listen, if, if, you, if you wanted, you know, 90 minutes on impeachment and all the ling- legal maneuverings, there's, there's a thousand podcasts out there. Um, and I do try and stick to, you know, Florida, Florida type topics here, something that touches the state. Um, yeah, you did have our, our congressional delegation all vote along party lines, both for impeachment and then uh, for acquittal. Uh, Senators Rubio and Scott voting both not guilty on both both articles. So, you know, a, a bit of a Florida angle, but not much, but such a monumental part of our history unfolded in D.C. And, um, you know, I'd be remiss not to at least do something on it. And, and Paul's one of those people who are very lucky to get him booked on here because it, there aren't a lot of people that know it as well. You know, we've had Bill McCollum come on, a former House manager during the Clinton impeachment. Paul, somebody who, you know, obviously worked with Ken Starr uh, during the Clinton impeachment. This is a big deal. Um and, you know, taking the politics out of it and how you feel about the president or how you feel about the way the Democrats conducted the impeachment, um, setting it aside, in my lifetime, we've had two presidents impeached. We've had two trials in the Senate. This is not something that happens all the time. And, um, you know, we, we may see more of these. I certainly, I agree with Paul, I, I hope we don't. Um, I hope that uh, the system that was put in place where, as I mentioned earlier, ambition checks ambition, where each of the branches is jealous of their own authority and doesn't just, you know, bow to whoever the, the, the leader is at the moment, gets restored. Maybe that's wishful thinking. Maybe that's not where we're headed. Maybe as long as, you know, whatever my tribe is doing is good, it doesn't matter if it hurts you, is, is where we're all going. And governing by 50% plus one is the new normal. Maybe. And maybe not. Um, I, if you've listened to this podcast, and obviously if you've, you're still listening at this point, you've been on, you've downloaded the episode and, and are willing to stick through 20, 25 minutes of this, but um, you've heard me say this before, it, it all comes back to us. You know, you can, you can pound the table about Tallahassee not listening, or you can get angry that Congress is, is, is doing this, that, or the other, but, you know, we, we send them there. You know, we, we send them there. We send them to, in my case, Orlando, to be on the county commission. We send them to Tallahassee to be part of the legislature. We send them to D.C. to represent us. And, you know, you can be angry, you can be upset, but 
your vote matters and your neighbor's vote matters and, and your, your family's votes matter. And at some point it reaches a critical mass where if you want good governance, it has to matter to you and the people around you. And if you don't, then um, the, the H.L. Mencken quote that, that Paul and I both referenced comes into play. The democracy is the idea that the people know what they want and they should get it good and hard. Um, that's, that's about it. So impeachment's over. Um, the president, if you, if you saw his uh, prayer breakfast on Thursday, was um, triumphant. If you saw his uh, hour-long press conference from the White House, well, not press conference, just it was a speech, I guess, from the White House, um, he is, um, you know, I think it's safe to say angry about the impeachment, but it is over. Um, and will the House impeach him again for something else? Maybe, maybe not. We'll wait and see. Um, but um, this is where we're at. So I did want to get this at least in the feed, get it on the record, talk about it a little bit. And now we'll move on to other things, maybe something a little more fun um, for next week. But anyway, I do appreciate it. Again, I say this every time, and, and I honestly mean it. I do appreciate everybody listening to these, downloading these. Um, I enjoy doing this this show, and we'll continue to try and crank a couple of these out. Um, oh, side note, while we're talking about uh, Thursday's White House uh, speech by the president, the president used a word in that speech, and it aired live on our air, and um, was told rather quickly from the the powers on the second floor and above that um, we, under no circumstances, could use that quote from the president. Um, the irony that w- we could potentially get a uh, FEC fine for airing the president's own words, I find to be funny, but, you know... It, there's there's certain standards you stick to, and that's and that's one of them. And um, I can't say that that's necessarily wrong. I don't think I would put that out there um, otherwise. So there it is. All right, my rambling uh, is coming to an end, and so is this podcast. I do again. I do thank you for downloading it. Um, if you're enjoying this, do re- leave a like, a written review, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, um, and uh, you know, get people involved in in the political process. And, and if you can, get them listening to this. That would be great for me. So um, until next time, I'll talk to you then. Bye. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.